I just like to take you back a few years. I'm, I'm 33 years of age, with a face of a 14-year-old. Um, that wasn't supposed to elicit such a large laugh, but that's okay. Oh, yeah, thank you, Emma and Laura, for having words later. Uh, I, I, the first time I ever really fell head over heels in love uh, was with a girl called Abby Ferguson. And she uh, was sweet, had marvelous cheekbones, and went to youth group. And that, for me, was about as good as it gets. So I think I was 15 or 16 years of age. I'm not talking about just, you know, you know, little playground crushes. I mean, like, genuinely, deeply, forever in love kind of love. Um, I, my, my approach and strategy was to um, become her friend and then um, hang, hang out at her house as often as possible. She lived not too far up the road. And uh, I, think, I think I even managed to get in, like, a couple of, like, youth group leadership team things with her for a while there. That was also um, quite successful. Um, and, and, and we, hang, we, we hung out for quite a while, and uh, a, a few months, in fact, and I was pretty sure that we were going strong. So Abby and I were hanging out, and I, just, I went mushy every time I was around her. I just, she, was, she was just something incredibly special, female. And, um, and, and I, I thought we were going strong, uh, and we'd been hanging out for a few months, and then one day she de- delivered some devastating news of a uh, spiritual crisis. Uh, she, she told me she needed to take some time out to really focus on her relationship with Jesus, which is a bit tough to have another man in the relationship. <laughs> um, but I understood. In fact, if anything, it just elicited more love from me because she, she loved Jesus. And I understood, and I took it on the chin, and I did what any real man would do and asked, how long? Um, <laughs> six months, it was deemed, was about enough time to kind of get her focus. I mean, I understand. Like, I can draw focus from Jesus. Uh, I, I understood at the time how tough a competition it was between me and him and uh, how I could be quite a distraction. And, um, and so I understood six months, you know, even though it was a long, long, long time in the desert, would be worth it because uh, at the end she'd have the best of both worlds, Jesus and me. Um, I did what any man would do and uh, made a calendar in my physics book with a, <laughs> with a day, with a day. It, was, it was the only thing in my physics book. <laughs> I, uh, I think I put the title physics. Um, in fact, I put the title, title physics, because huh, our teacher, Mr. Smith, huh, his real name was Mr. Smith, but we called him Mr. Smith, huh? Because at the end of every uh, at the end of every sentence, he'd say, "Huh." Uh, I don't know why, um, but he would, Mr. Smith, huh? Uh, welcome to the physics class, huh? This morning we'll be talking about uh, centripetal force, huh? And when he got excited, he'd say, "Mohers," and so. Uh, so he really liked um, trolleys, and so he'd push a trolley along the beach and say, uh, and as the trolley gains momentum, <laughs> and he'd also say more as he got more excited, but also as he got more angry. So uh, he'd also say, you boys at the back, stop talking. And so what we'd do is we'd press one plus plus equals in our calculator, which of course becomes a tallying system every time you press equals again, and see how many hers a minute we could get. And we had one guy who was really good at stats, and he'd do graphs of hers per minute. Um, and at one point, when some some guys, I don't know why we 
traumatized teachers. It was awful. Um, but at one point when some guys were smoking at the, in the back row of the class, which you could get away in physics because um, sometimes there was Bunsen burners around from the chemistry lot, uh, and you could kind of get away with a bit of smoke sometimes. But he, he saw them, and, and uh, your boys have driven me to the limit. <laughs> and the hers just went out of control. And I think we got them up to about 52 hers a minute, which is at least one per second. Get out of my room. Um, yeah. So in my physics book was the title Physics and then a two-month, uh, sorry, a six-month calendar uh, with each day compartmentalized off of the countdown of when our love would be reunited. And uh, it was a long, slow, painful time. Um, you can't think about centripetal force huh, when you're in love. It's, it's really difficult. So I'd spend my time in physics class. I'd a- anticipate each day I got. Mondays were great because I get to cross off three days, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And I counted down, and I, I remained faithful and waited patiently for uh, Abby to sort out her stuff with Jesus so that we could be back together. Uh, it just so happened she was on a holiday uh, the week that ended the sixty, no, the, um, the six months in the desert, and uh, I was all excited. And so, for the first time ever, I bought flowers. <laughs> I don't think I'd even bought them for my mum. I bought flowers, and I think I just bought one flower. <laughs> it was a bit tight. Uh, bought <laughs> really nice flower, though quality. <laughs> uh, bought, bought, bought a flower and, and wrote this beautiful note and left it in her letterbox. And of course, she knew my phone number. There was only uh, about five numbers in it back in Tauranga back then, so it wasn't hard to remember. Um, and, and, and I waited for her phone call uh, as she returned from holiday, would find this uh, flower, hopefully not wilted in her letterbox, uh, with this note, uh, really just explaining my excitement that uh, now that she had, you know, put one eye on Jesus, she could put one eye back on me. She, both her eyes were straight. It was fine. Um, <laughs> And she and, and I and I waited by the phone for her to ring, and uh, she came back from holiday, and I heard I heard nothing. So I thought maybe you know maybe this is a test, and so I went around to her house, and I was all excited because I mean I knew she would be excited, um, and I know she was a little surprised, which is not a good sign. And then I said, um, "The six months is up," and it looked for a moment like she had forgotten that we were counting down together. (laughs) And that was the point I began to click and realize it was a trick. She didn't want six months with Jesus at all. She just didn't want me around. And I just hadn't noticed. And it was was heartbreaking. I I thought we were counting down together and I'd faithfully faithfully left her alone. But she actually just said six months with Jesus because that's what our youth pastor told her to tell tell me because that usually gets rid of guys. But I was in love. I didn't know the rules of this thing. I didn't know she was just making it up. And she had completely forgotten she had said six months. She she had nothing in her physics book except for some triple force. And uh, trolley's gaining momentum. Um, And she forgot about a countdown altogether. And uh, that was the first time I'd also uh, fallen in love and had my heart broken. And uh, I resented Jesus for a long time. And uh, we've made up. But um, I really feel like sometimes he does draw focus too much. (laughs) Love, like all the great energies, is powerful enough to get you out of bed, to force you to put yourself out there. It's even powerful enough to blind you to things that are glaringly obvious to everybody else, such as the ruse of six months with Jesus. But thank God for the energies that bring us alive, that demand that we don't just survive, 
but that we answer the question of Mary Oliver. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? We are born with a fire within us, the Greek said, drives, desires, and energies that push us forward into life, that keep us moving, willing to connect, relate, create, build, achieve, love, experience, succeed, explore, adventure. But like all great energies, while good, these fires are dangerous. If let loose, they can take over. They can rule. They can beat us up or blow us apart. We can be pulled in a thousand directions or just as dangerously become obsessed with one thing, forsaking all else to get it. No fire means no life, no passion. But wildfire is just as dangerous. To love is good, but to be obsessed is harmful. The desire to create, succeed, discover is a gift, but to lose everything else in aid of it is too high a price to pay. I just want you to take a moment and um, I'm going to do something very dangerous and close our eyes together, you know, which always opens you up to the possibility that someone's going to take your iPhone. But this is a a trusting place. Let's close our eyes together for just a moment. So when you think for a second about the fires that burn within you, the drives, the desires, the energies that fuel you to get out of bed and to be active in life. I want you to think in big letters, size 72, the big drives. What things push you forwards, for better or worse? And small letters, the little ones. Which of these are most dangerous? Which of these are most helpful? Which ones don't you like to own up to? What stands out as healthy? What is potentially destructive? Awesome, you can up here, Rose. The wisdom of those who have gone before us has taught us to handle the fires, to allow them to push us forward but not to rule us, to uncover what really matters in life and live in light of it, to only pay a great price for things of great worth. This handling of fires is called spirituality. Christian spirituality points us to find ultimate meaning in the person of Jesus and live our lives in light of his love and grace. In him, we find an authentic shape. James Benner, uh, author of The Gift of Being Yourself, says, the goal of the spiritual journey is the transformation of self. As we shall see, this requires knowing both ourself and God. Both are necessary if we're to discover our true identity as those who are in Christ, because the self is where we meet God. Both are necessary if we're to, find, if we're to live out the uniqueness of our vocation. He goes on to talk about the ex, um, experience of spirituality, um, an experience of self-discovery is to try out and throw away a thousand inauthentic selves, a thousand inauthentic ways of being. Spirituality is about letting God speak into our lives, shape us, teaching us what to hold on to and what to let go of. But it's not easy. We live in a world that makes it difficult to do the kinds of activities that are necessary for spiritual formation, prayer, 
contemplation, being still, having conversation of depth with, depth with those we trust, sharing secrets. This is from uh, Roland Rollheiser and the Holy Longing. And um, hello, oh hello. I'm sorry if the font's too small, but it is very far away from you. So for some of you who need to do this, that'll help. To have a living faith today, one must start at some point in his life or her life make a deep private act of faith. That faith, which Rainer equates with becoming a mystic, is unfortunately itself very difficult because the very forces that have helped, us, that have helped erode our cultural, communal faith also work against us, making this private act, private act of faith. What are these anti-faith forces? They're not the product of some conscious conspiracy by godlessness. They are instead all those things, good and bad, within us and around us that tempt us away from prayer, from self-sacrifice, from being more communal, from being willing to sweat blood in the garden in order to keep our integrity and commitments, and from mustering up the time and courage to enter deeply into our own souls. Hence, they are not abstract foreign forces. They live in the house with us and are as comfortable to us as a well-worn shoe. What blocks faith? is that myriad of innocent things within our ordinary, normal lives, which precisely make our lives more comfortable. Our laziness, our self-indulgence, our ambition, our restlessness, our envy, our refusal to live in tension, our consumerism, our greed for things and experiences, our need to have a certain lifestyle, our busyness and overextension, our perpetual tiredness, our obsession with celebrities, and our perpetual distraction with sports, sitcoms, and talk shows. These are the anti-mystical forces of our time. I once watched a um, documentary talking about how the light bulb has, um, <laughs> thrilling stuff, uh, about light bulbs, about how the light bulb had changed um, the rhythm of society. Once upon a time, we all um, got up at the same time and went to bed at the same time, and it was... Um, Gas and oil were very expensive, and so it was very difficult. Um, not many people could afford to just stay up all night. Uh, and so most societies um, functioned very much around the rising and setting of the sun. And so when the sun went down, it was a time to stop, to pause, to reflect, to be together in small, um, smaller spaces. spaces. Um, it also generated um, an opportunity for the discussion of meaning. But the light bulb suddenly gave everyone access to being alive at all times of the day and night. And it fundamentally shifted how we approached um, activity and rest. It made it possible for us to not stop, to keep on going, to extend our days longer and longer. And this is the kind of thing that Rollheis is talking about. That um, the, the, anti, the anti-faith and the anti-mystical, anti-interiority forces in our world aren't some um, grand um, materialistic conspiracy. They're just clutter. It's the fact that the very things that we need to do to become whole, complete people are incredibly difficult to do when they're being crowded out by everything else we try to do in life. It's not so much that the world around us is overtly against interiority. It's just that it's not geared for it. It hangs at the bottom of to-do lists as a luxury. We can wait until all our tasks are done rather than a necessity that shapes which tasks we take on in the first place. So it becomes a death spiral. The very thing that can bring shape to our incessant activity is the thing that we have least time for. We're at the mercy of going forwards. We talked um, a few weeks ago about the whole idea of energies as the desires and things that fuel us and how distinct they were from the energy 
in terms of um, actual activity energy it takes to see those desires happen. It was really interesting watching um, our congregation. Sometimes from this angle, you get like a, you can see pennies drop. And I talked about, uh, we're talking about energies and I uh, uh, sort of mentioned a phrase around, you know, some of you think that this, all this talk of energies is not for you because you're so exhausted, you have no energy left. Um, but that's actually not because you have no energy, it's because you have too much. We have these drives and desires that fuel us to take on activities. But if those desires get out of control and we take on too many things, our physical, our intellectual, and our emotional energies run out because we can't manage the small energy of drive and desire within us. To make things more complicated, we're driven by fires that we're not yet aware of or don't want to face. From the fear of being left behind, from fathers that worked too hard, from the deep pain of relationship breakdowns that is too hard to face, from paralyzing doubt or narcissistic self-belief. Without a foundation of spirituality, we risk overinflation, whether that means being torn in a thousand directions or being singularly obsessed with one thing. Or we risk deflation, so exhausted and overwhelmed by our fires that we no longer have the physical, emotional, and mental energy to do anything at all. We can see from all of this that spirituality is about what we do with our spirits, our souls. This is Rollheiser. And we can see too that from all, of this, um, from all of this, that a healthy spirit or a healthy soul must do dual jobs. It has to give us energy and fire so that we don't lose our vitality and all sense of the beauty and joy of living. Thus, the opposite of a spiritual person is not a person who rejects the idea of God and lives as a pagan. The opposite of a spiritual person is to have no energy, is to have lost all zest for living, lying on a couch, watching football or sitcoms, and taking beer intravenously. Its other task is a very vital one. It is to keep us glued together, glued together integrated, so that we do not die um, and fall apart. Under this aspect, the opposite of a spiritual person would be one who has lost his or her identity, namely the person who at a certain point doesn't know who, who he or she is anymore. A healthy soul keeps us both energized and glued together. And uh, this is just a short recap of our series. And I just kind of just want to reaffirm what we're trying to grow here as a community. I'd really love us to grow a community of depth and interiority. The phrase got thrown around a couple of weeks ago. I wasn't here, but I heard about it, but about discovering that we have a deep, deep. Discovering that there's a depth below the depth that we knew within us. Um, I'd love to think that we're a community that doesn't just act out of the culture surrounding us, that doesn't just incessantly be busy because that's what we're supposed to do, but that has actually found the most meaningful things in the world, and we'll give ourselves wholeheartedly to them. Uh, I'm just going to recap very briefly um, what we've gone through so far. Uh, We've got podcasts up. Our our church is not um, slick. uh, Oh, we do have two lights. I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know why they're up there, but we've got two lights, so we're pretty pretty much the Super Bowl. Um, Our podcasts are not meant to be um, clever and uh, and finely crafted and created. Our sermons, uh, we put a lot of work into the content that goes into them, but um, they don't necessarily make a lot of sense if you're not part of this community. But if you are a part of this community and want to listen, and um, we have... We, we are working systematically through a series. The first um, five or six weeks are um, working quite systematically and shaping 
um, a foundation of spirituality. And so if you've missed some, you can, um, you can catch up on podcasts if you want to, but they'll never be as good as seeing St- Steve in real life. So we'll, you have to just do that with a, a photo of him. Oh, you've all got one on your wall, I'm sure. Um, um, the foundations of um, spirituality, um, the, <laughs> that's really small too. The, the first foundation is that life is a sacred gift. If, if we're to have a robust spirituality, um, we have to come to an appreciation of the fact that life is a gift from beyond, that, um, that life is, is an incredibly special gift given by God. It's to be valued, it's to be treasured, it's to be curated, and it's to be nurtured. Um, we did an exercise in the very first week, which you can repeat at home if you like, where we took the time to, um, to, to each choose and light a candle um, as symbolic of the fire that God has given us, the gift of life that God's given us. And we discussed the idea that um, often we don't value life until we nearly lose it. And people who come back from a near-death experience um, most often have this incredible um, appreciation for life again, um, an encounter where death brings forward the sacredness of life. Uh, this is um, Fregnant Berkner. It says, The grace of God means something like this. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party would, would never have been complete without you. The second is that we're born with fires desires and energies and drives. Um, the second thing an encounter with death does often is gives a repriority of meaning. Um, it, it, it reorders us. If we come close to death, we suddenly come back, um, not just trying to live longer, but trying incredibly hard to make sure that we value the right things in life. Um, this is Buckner again. We must be careful with our lives for Christ's sake because it would seem that they are, they are the only lives we're ever going to have in this puzzling and perilous world. And so they are very, very precious. And what we do with them matters enormously. The third foundation is that recognition, this is um, Ronald Rollheiser's term, that we are fundamentally diseased, And it's differently than diseased. Um, some of us are, but uh, that's another subject for another time. Um, we have... <laughs> Josh, who just came back from a cruise ship, just laughed very loudly. Um, we're fundamentally diseased. Uh, we're born with desires, drives, and energies which can drive us forward, but they can also destroy us. Um, Rollheiser's observation is this, is that we're not naturally at rest. There are very few people who are naturally at peace within themselves. This madness, this fire, these energies that are within us are made it very, make it very hard to sit still make it very hard to be satisfied and content. They make it very hard to be at peace. And so spirituality is about letting these fires live, but also finding some sense of equilibrium, about finding a life where we can be both moving forward, but also have some sense of contentedness, that we're not being torn apart, that we're not being overwhelmed, that we're not constantly so restless that we can't actually hold ourselves together and be whole and be satisfied. Uh, the fourth uh, thing, bullet point, I don't know, I'm not very good with bullet points, I don't like them very much, um, but, we're, but we're meaning-filled beings. All, of our ac- all actions and ways of living are not the same. Some are better, some are worse. There is such a thing as good and evil. Some actions and activities make us more human and others less. They either help us become more integrated or cause our life to disintegrate. We're beings that need to find meaning. And spirituality is about 
doing the hard yards of finding out what in this life is most meaningful and shaping our lives around it. Spirituality is what we do with our, um, our fire and our desires. It's discovering what's meaningful and letting it shape our life. And Steve talked a couple of weeks ago about Christian spirituality, recognizes that our desires point beyond themselves. N.T. Wright, um, who's one of my favorite theologians, um, talks about them as echoes of God. Echoes of God. When we find beauty, love, excitement, joy, that those things in themselves are good, but they echo further than that. They're actually pointers to the person of God and the life of God. We are created for ways of being that reflect our creator. And Christian spirituality points us that in, um, in, in Jesus, we find an example of what it is to be whole. Rod talked last week about ourselves, and we're going to spend some more time on this next, next week. But the idea that ourselves matter, that we need to care for, know, and nurture ourselves because they're God's gift. We need to know ourselves because the self is the lens through which we see God. Um, and Frederick, Ber- Frederick Berkner, again, uh, has this idea of being able to find home within ourselves. And um, a friend, of, a workmate of mine, took his life a few weeks ago. And, um, and while I was doing some reflection around that, I, um, I found this quote from um, Frederick Berkner. He was 10 years old when his dad took his own life. And many years later, he reflected this, which I just thought was a profound insight. My father was a fine swimmer and a wonderful dancer. He was at home everywhere. But in another sense, he had no private home inside of himself. Therefore, when trouble forced him home, there was nowhere to go. He had no home, or if he, had, or if he ever had one, he had forgotten the way to get there. He died of homesickness. I'll read that again. My father was a fine swimmer and a wonderful dancer. He was at home everywhere, but in another sense, he had no private home inside himself. Therefore, when trouble forced him home, there was nowhere to go. He had no home, or if he ever had one, he had forgotten the way to get there. He died of homesickness. And when I think about my generation, about people my age who I work with, that just rings so, so true for a world with very little interiority, for a world that is constantly so busy that we don't stop half the time because we don't want to face the things inside of ourselves. And I just really feel that God um, has got some work to do in each and every one of us. That we should have a home of robustness and strength and identity within us. But we have to do some work to get there. We're going to take communion together. And as we do this morning, I just want us to hold the thought that we find a home within the body of Christ. We find a home within each other and the relationships that we have here. And that for those of us who struggle to make a home within ourselves, who are perhaps fragile, who are perhaps scared of the things that are in us, who are perhaps having some trouble doing the hard work of finding peace, of ordering our desires and energies, that in the meantime, we borrow strength and we have our identity shaped by each other that there's a place of safety within the community of each other and within the body of Christ. If you'd like to break your cracker in the middle of your um, table and remembering the second knuckle principle.
Feel free to take a piece of cracker and some juice. Just borrow it off someone else. In your hands, you hold a fragment of home. Together. Can't believe you got yours already. I'm kidding. (laughs) Together. We share in something that's greater than ourselves. Something authentic. Something good. Something beautiful. An echo of the beyond. In the eyes of the other people around you, there is kindness, there is love, and there is a home. The people at your table may be able to tell you things about yourself that you really need to hear and that you don't yet know. Let's close our eyes this morning. Father, we thank you that you have made a home for every person within the body of Christ. This morning as we eat and drink together, I just pray that you would begin to shine a light. You would help us to throw off in the authentic versions of ourselves and to pursue you. Lord, give us the bravery to face the things inside us. And Lord, truly create a home within us. In Jesus' name, amen.